welcome to the Fracture Line, the official weekly news feed from the Chest Wall Injury Society, where we will listen to all the bottom line CWIS updates, shoutouts, fun facts, and weekly banner. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Crisco, and I'm joined always by Dr. Tom White, Dr. Adam Kay, and Sarah Ann Whitbeck. Well, welcome back to Fracture Line, everybody. Today, it's just me, Tom, and Sarah. We wanted to talk a little bit about a trial we're calling the Less Than Perfect Trial. Uh, Tom, why don't you lead us through a little bit of a discussion here and what the less than perfect trial means and how we're going to run this here. So the less than perfect uh, trial or study is designed to try to answer some questions that we don't really understand well, and that is why do why do some patients fail their repair? Why do why do plates break? Why do they lift off the rib? Why do they um, get infected? And why, if, if you have a result that's less than perfect, what were the circumstances that predisposed that patient to that outcome? And I don't think we really know that. We didn't learn much about that from our RF2 trial. Types of failures were cataloged, but we didn't really get at this question of why it happened. And if we're going to try to take that failure rate from 5% or 3.5% or whatever it is down to 1% or less as a society, as a, uh, we're, we're going to have to know more about why patients fail. This study is designed to try to get at that. And so the idea here is that we, we will study this as prospectively as we can. So we won't go back and try to historically identify these patients and figure out what, was, what their circumstances were, but we'll do it prospectively. So the, the members of the society will be aware of this study. And if they develop or they recognize a failure, we would encourage them to reach out to us. We'll have a website. We'll have a number, whatever. We'll make it easy for them. They'll contact us and say, hey, I think I, think I, have, a, I have a failure, and I think you guys are doing a study. Do you want to know about my patient? And we'll say, absolutely. Let's, let us set up an interview you, with you, and we'll have this scripted interview with the surgeon at the time of the recognition of the failure. We're not going to know about it before that, right? And we don't want to know about it six months later. So the idea here is that if we can tap into the surgeon's recollection of the case, what the circumstances were, what was the bone quality like, what were the competing injuries and priorities, what were the, you know, what was the anatomy, maybe we can get, maybe we can answer some of these questions. So that's the rationale behind the less than perfect trial. I don't know of anything that's quite like it, and maybe it won't work. But feels like maybe we can get some answers if we do this in real time. Nobody has more than one or two failures a year, hopefully. It would take forever for a single institution or a single surgeon to get this information. So that's where the economies of scale or the, you know, the benefit of having multiple members who are interested in this concept and this research, who are willing and able to fall on the sword and be candid about their failure. Uh, it's all going to be anonymized, of course. No one will be identified, either the patient or the surgeon, ultimately, with a, with a, with a particular failure. But I think if we do it this way and we get buy-in, we can probably accumulate 50 or to 100 failures in a year or two, and maybe we can maybe we can figure this out or figure some of it out. What do you think, Mark? My first question uh, for you was, what is your definition of failure? Uh, can we describe? Can we talk about that for a second? Because yes, you know, plate failure would be one. Screws pulling out, obviously, another one. But what about the chronic yes. pain patient or the troubled pain, troublesome pain patient? I don't think those patients should be in the study. I think it's a different group of patients. They'll be hard. They'll be. There's be so much subjectivity to that that 
I think it'll be challenging to glean any meaningful data from that. I, so I, I, I think we should, and I think what we're focusing on, our definition will include hardware mishaps, displacements, fractures, loose screws, anything that's less than perfect mechanically. And then in Europe last week, we identified an interesting phenomenon. They remove a lot of their plates. 40% of the plates that are placed in patients in the wow. Netherlands get ultimately get removed wow. for reasons that aren't really clear to me, and it's not clear to them either. Although some of them are symptomatic, some of them just don't want the hardware in. Some of them were, I think, briefed that the hardware should come out ultimately because it's not safe to be in there. I don't know why, but but I think we should include hardware removal for whatever reason as a criteria for entry in this study. And I think if we do that, we can answer that question fairly conclusively, why are plates being removed? I challenge that we should put any plate removal into this LTP project. That's a big number. Uh, that 40% doesn't make any sense to me because you can't, because it's know. not 40% plate failure. Most of those are not failures. Most of those are not yeah. mechanical failures, but they're deemed by the surgeon and the patient as to be a failure mm. or well, something less than perfect. I'm going to push back. Or it not. didn't sound like it was a failure. It sounded more Based on their description, it sounded more, and this is probably the wrong word, but cultural almost. Just well, that's you know, not it without was precedent. Yeah, you're right, Sarah. And that's not without precedent. I'm not an orthopedist, and I don't even play one on TV. But right. there are certain areas of the body where hardware is put in, and with the expectation that it will be removed after. Sure. Healing. Are you are yeah. you thinking of including things like? I mean, but you mentioned bone quality, but a lot of us don't get like vitamin D levels or you know, do osteoporotic right. workups, but so it's just going to be a, a surgeon's assessment of bone quality. Is that what? Yeah. For the purposes of this study, I think that's right. I mean, all, we, we have a script with about 25 questions that are, will be asked and bone quality is one of those, but it's subjective. The, most of these patients don't have any sort of objective. They don't have deck scans or whatever. If they do, we'd like to have that capture that information. Well, that's what sure. I was going to say. I, I would push back because it, it will be something because it is, you know, more of a qualitative discussion um, in the survey. That's a question that we can ask. You know, is, yeah, did you yeah. did you assess the the bone quality? Do they have a deck scan? What you know, what in fact was, or did you have any perception in the pre-op phase? Did the p patient mention any bone quality issues or things like that 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 we wouldn't necessarily put on a standard form? You know, if if it was a different type of of survey um, or a different type of study. So I think this will be actually kind of a, a really interesting and informative process, but I think those those interviews will be varied and they'll really have you know a lot of depth to them. Um, not necessarily long, but but certainly you know interesting to kind of delve into and, and probably kind of complicated um, in the write-up phase to, to take all oh, that data so. and figure out how we how we make sense of that, how we you know amalgamate that into some final summary when it'll be in such a varied format. I don't have a pre-established notion of what, what the study is going to show. It may show that nine times out of 10, the surgeon had no clue that this patient was gonna fail, that everything went perfectly well in their mind. And if that, that's the case, that that's very helpful, that's useful. I don't, I don't know, I would say almost on the other side of that coin, I think all the time, this patient's a smoker, this patient's frail, this patient's got COPD, and I, I expect them to fail. And so identifying right. the more common you know, markers for failure, I think are... But are those the ones that fail in I, your hands? Well, not, Tom, I don't, you know, so, I don't have any failures. So I don't expect you to contribute to the study at all because you know, everything's perfect in your world. Mark's, 
Mark's biography is going to be called MTB, more than perfect. <laughs> right, right. He's like, well, I won't actually be part of this study, but I'm going to cheer you on from the sidelines because I've never had a failure. <laughs> well, I'm going to expose my dirty underwear. Well, not, not exactly that. I removed a plate last night. Uh, the patient uh, operated in April. He was a lateral implosion, apical crush sort of injury, and I operated on him, and I removed a plate last night that had dislodged itself from the from the rib on one half and had in, induced a large subscapular hematoma, which had eventually worked its way out into the subcutaneous space, and that's what he presented with was this mass, almost virtually asymptomatic, despite one end of the plate freely in the in the subscapular space, irritating it, obviously, causing hemorrhage. There were things from that index case that I remember about the quality of the bone and the, the accordion nature of the ribs and the exposure and the body habitus and things that, that were challenging. And I, it was a case I was worried about. And as it turned out, it was, it was less than perfect. So Th these things happen. They happen to all of us. I think if you do enough of these, particularly for doing challenging cases, which most of us are doing, we're not shying away from hard cases. Most of us aren't that believe in this therapy. So I think that I, I would have enjoyed an interview today to sort of describe this case. And I think no one's in a better position to, to delineate or to identify risk factors for failure than the surgeon who did the case. Truly sounds like a phenomenal study. I can't wait for the project to start. I think it'll be cathartic for a lot of us to just talk about our dirty laundry. So you said, Tom, uh, let's move on. How was your trip to the Netherlands, guys? Sea with Europe was a very successful adventure. We um, we had the opportunity to present for the European Society of Thoracic Surgeons Chest Wall Working Group, um, which is chaired by Dr. Jose Ribas, who is, um, our listeners may know is um, one of our very enthusiastic and uh, focused members from Sao Paulo. So he facilitated that uh, meeting and, again, had the opportunity to to contribute and present. And um, from that, we discussed some collaborative projects that the CUS and the ESTS will be engaging in in the next year. So I think that will be, um, that's a very positive next step. Um, Dr. Wright, do you want to talk about the actual CUS Europe meeting? Yeah, it was a really interesting day. We had, we, um, we invited, I think we had 16 surgeons there, many of whom we know, they're friends of CUS, and then a few other key opinion leaders. We just had everybody present 10 minutes on a topic of their choice. And it was really interesting because the, the diversity was, you know, that could be a disaster if everybody wanted to talk about the same thing, but, but everybody talked about something different, something they were interested in, a recent challenging case, um, a research project that, they, that they're involved in. And it was really uh, very stimulating, high-level high discussion. This wasn't, this wasn't Rib Fixation 101. I, I was impressed with quality of the education well, and, the, and the, the presentations and the, the work that's being done by these, these surgeons, who are many of whom we're, we've captured or we will capture into, into the CWIS family here soon. I think that's a, that's a good thing. That's exciting. It was really exciting. I will say from that, we generated at least two, maybe more, um, additional multi-center trials that were discussed and then people said, well, we should do that. Yeah, let's do that, you know, and it, it kind of moved forward in that meeting. Um, so I think that will, those are forthcoming. Um, people are submitting documentation now. Um, a white paper was suggested. 
um, as a partnership society, or excuse me, as a partnership with another society. Lots of good enthusiasm and people connecting, people being able to say, oh, I've seen your name, it's nice to meet you, and you know, things like that. So that, um, that went really well. One other thing I would mention, Dr. Um, Mathieu Weifels from Rotterdam, who sent, who has sent two of his research fellows. They have gone to Denver Health in the past, um, and we had a presentation on those experiences during the summit last year. Um, he has a third who is going to be looking for a place to visit. He's actually from Detroit originally. He is looking to come do another a, a fellowship similar to how the others that, that we've enjoyed um, as part of Denver Health, et cetera, and, and the partnership with CWIS. So um, if you thought that looked really cool at the summit, thought that might be of interest, you know, please reach out. We'd be happy to connect you. I, I, you know, I don't know that anyone has necessarily spoken for it, in terms of you know this person already being committed to Denver Health or something else, so if if you're jonesing for uh, for this person to head your direction, let us know, and and you could certainly reach out and, and see if it's a fit. One example of a of a research initiative that might be enhanced or altered by our visit was a non-union prospective non-union study uh, that Dr. Eva Karagunas from Sweden. She has a strong clinical interest in non-unions and has amassed a pretty prodigious experience already. I guess in Sweden there's only one or two hospitals that actually operate on ribs and hers is one of them and, and people send all their non-unions to her. So she has this, this steady supply of non-unions and she was outlining her study, and we had the idea that, well, how about we en enlist the, the rest of the CWIS family in this study and make it multi-institutional? And to her credit, she, she thought that was doable and feasible, and so she will be presenting that concept to the education, I'm sorry, to the research committee here soon, and so stay tuned. We may be launching a multi-institutional, primarily observational, prospective observational trial of non-union therapy. Peter Cole's been talking about that for years. He'll be excited I about know. that. He will be. <laughs> well, guys, I'm going to run to the OR soon, so Sarah, slam in yep. some updates. The contract is done. That's pretty good. People, we are officially going to um, the Charlotte City Center Marriott. The announcement will go out by email today, so um, everyone can get excited and start checking out photos, which will be awesome. Um, and then the link will be live if you want to actually book your hotel. The link should be live in the next um, couple of days, they said. So, you know, if you're just jonesing to get set up for uh, CBIS 2023, don't worry. We've got links. Um, so that's pretty exciting. The other thing I would mention just to get on people's radar is that abstracts will be due November 30th, which I recognize sounds like a long time from now. But if it sounds like a long time away, Remember the shame you felt when you had to email me and say, oh, my abstract is going to be a day late. Is that okay? And then start now. Okay? Feel that shame. Feel Perfect. that shame today. Because, you know, people always talk about, like, Christmas in July. Think about how much better you'd feel. Sarah, how about you had, name, like, name drop some of these Thanksgiving people? Thanksgiving in July. You know what? Name drop them. Who are they? Who are the Shame drop. Shame I, drop. drop them. Shame I, drop. Why would I shame drop Everett Erickson in front of everybody? That's just rude. Right. I like hey, him too go. much. Yeah, that's a good idea. Don't, <laughs> Don't do that. Do that. <laughs> I love you, Dr. Erickson. That's just for you. You're welcome. 
Remember, no, we said we're going to start a, doing that. We're going to start calling out people on Fraction Line until they start listening. You know so what? You that's, that's a good point. That's a very good point. I know. Well, and, you know, I I, I would never want to throw a fellow like Dr. Jordan Kirsch under the bus. But, you know, sometimes <laughs> those things just happen. They just happen. There you go. We'll see. It's if, just like a little bit of a word vomit. We'll see if anyone's listening. Blah, 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 blah. Exactly. So that is very exciting. Um, we also announced in the newsletter that the, well, the AAST is meeting in Chicago in September. I'm sure people have been seeing their promotion coming out. And CWIS will be having a night um, during that time frame. CWIS will be getting together. So if you are headed to Chicago um, for the AAST or you're within the general vicinity, we would love to see you. Keep an eye on the newsletter. I believe it's September 22nd. That's the, the date that I have stuck in my brain at this moment, but I, I could be incorrect about that. I don't have it actually in front of me at this moment. So, and we'll be doing dinner, drinks, hanging out, all of that, that it will actually be sponsored by um, KLS Martin and we're grateful for their support. Um, so please, uh, please plan to join. We're finalizing the location for that one as well. So if you're headed to Chai Town, this is your chance. All right. Well, let's final stitch it. Who's got something on their mind? I got two things. Today's the first day of the Tour de France. It's, it's obviously the unofficial opening of summer, and uh, the next three weeks are always exciting. And Ed Black. Ed Black's on my mind. He's a friend of ours, a uh, friend from, from the UAE, from, and a dear friend, contributor. He's struggling. His mother died. My, uh, just, I just feel for Ed, and uh, if, you, if, if, he's, if he's a friend of yours, please reach out to him. Make him feel loved. Thanks. Indeed. So on my mind is actually retirement, not my own, as it turns out. Um, just I know. Crap I, look, I feel old enough some days that it could be mine. But um, today is my mom's first day of retirement. Bless her heart. So um, it's been an interesting journey. I, my mom anticipated she's a professor or she has been a professor at the University of Utah David Eccles School of Business. She is tremendous. She is brilliant. But it was my, you know, dad needs full-time care now. And so she is, is you know, hanging up the, the teaching just a little bit earlier than I think she anticipated uh, um, or probably would have volitionally um, probably uh, done so otherwise. But uh, I'm super impressed with her. Super proud. Happy retirement. Well earned. Congratulations. We were talking about it earlier. I was thinking about my brother-in-law. He had uh, sustained a pretty bad uh, chest wall injury to his right side in a mountain bike crash, and he struggled getting some good care in northern Maine. Um, and it just reminded me that, uh, as Tom said earlier, we we still got some work to do, I guess, in getting uh, in getting our message out. But uh, he's shipping down to me soon, and we're going to take care of his injury a little bit later. I was thinking about him, and we'll get him fixed. Please let us know how you do, how he does. Yeah, I will. You can present his case a case review. I think we have a, uh, a slot open yeah. coming up, so yeah. you'll be on the hook. I'm sure Dr. Forrester will be nudging you along. So Thanks for squeezing the bread with me. Exactly. Nice to squeeze fun. the bread with you guys, too. Right. I feel sufficiently squoze. <laughs> <laughs> You've been squoze. been squoze. I've been squoze.